0: Welcome to the 27th episode of the Nerdem and Other Nonsense Anime Podcast. Today we are going over the summer 2017 season's ninth week of shows. My only name is Leo, and Destiny 2, 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 Destiny 2. <sighs> and as a reminder, the correct pronunciation of Gallahorn is Jallarhorn. And I'm so hyped, I feel the dark below in my pants. <laughs> also with me is B Calm. <laughs> I feel like entering into
1: a Destiny Two clan with Leo was super bad advice. Oh well, it's too late to turn back now.
0: I think it's great advice because clan rewards and we—the more, the merrier—the better to reach the dark below
1: in my pants. So <laughs> You—you're
0: the one who wrote it.
1: I know. But it's so good. Oh man, All right. And that wasn't anyway. a very good
0: DLC either. So.
1: <laughs> i know that's that's like my favorite low-key my favorite part about it is that the dark below is like so underwhelming
0: <laughs> yeah <laughs> okay all right not to get your uh, spirits down but how about you rip this next show a new one
1: starting on sundays we have Centaur nor also known as a centaur's life and uh this episode I had alternate. nothing to do
0: about a centaur's life <laughs>
1: Yeah, I have an alternate title for episode nine. It's strange. It was in the production notes, apparently. Uh, How to give your audience tonal whiplash whilst also insulting their intelligence. (laughs) Um, But the actual running title they went with was, what are the struggles of someone known as a prominent figure? Slash, what is the life of someone known as a prominent figure like? So creative. Like, I mean, every week, they must hire someone to just come up with these brilliant title Spe- this I is think. their
0: only job just specifically <laughs> <Yeah>. the titles <laughs> yeah. they come
1: in like one day a week they like snort a line of like cocaine and they're like okay I got it I got the title <laughs> this time Whew.
0: prominent figure how okay. are you getting cocaine in Japan <laughs> must, they must be outsourcing overseas for that one yeah it, it
1: comes overseas it's fine alright so oh, first half of the episode Hime gets a smartphone and she's trying to watch a video on it uh, but in ad plays starring a frog man named Jean Rousseau, which I don't think is a, like any kind of reference to Jean Jacques Rousseau, like the famous French like philosopher. I don't. I mean, I mean, I guess it could be a reference, but there's nothing like about him that's really related to Jean Jacques Rousseau. Anyway, they try to figure out what they should call him and end up at like amphibian folk, I guess, as a name uh su chan has suggested they should call him a frenchman because like he's french i guess Uh, or he spent a lot of time in france um he's apparently a, a incredible success story among the amphibian folk uh for doing like really well in school and then eventually just working his way up to buying this like huge conglomerate and being a businessman uh So Tama tells the girls that Rousseau is coming to speak at their school and asks them to be part of his preparatory committee. Um, But before that, we go away. We have a long series of scenes about Jean Rousseau himself. He meets with this angel folk businessman in a Japanese skyscraper. And, like, the angel folk man makes a big deal of telling Rousseau that it's okay to shake his hand without wearing a glove. Like, Rousseau, like, is, you know, hesitant at first because I think there's, like, a superstition if you touch, like, a frog's hands like you could get warts which I think is a myth actually or if you just touch a frog at all like you could get well the like,
0: show didn't even say what that whole thing was about so
1: yeah it just made it clear that like people think that frogs hands are dirty um, usually but this guy was like no screw that I'm shaking your real hand so um after that meeting, Russo gets on a plane, he has this like cat girl assistant and like she helps him like change out of his clothes and she like rubs like ointment on his soul shoulders, uh, shoulders. He's heading back to basically his homeland uh, where he gets out and he wears just like basically like a tribal skirt and meets with like the other amphibian folk tribe leaders. And they sit around, like, they sit in, like, a little hut uh, around, like, a hookah. And there's, like, armed gu- guards outside. Like, one of them has a spear, and then, like, one of them has, like, an M16. <laughs> Which, so they got they got everything covered, I guess. Spear and M16, most efficient weapons of defense. Um, one of the leaders is wearing a military vest, and he's apparently, like, hell-bent... About going to war with like the mammalians, like the mammal peoples, uh, to take back their oceans and their lands that he believes their ancestors had, and he calls Rousseau basically a pseudo mammalian because he wears business suits and tries to coexist with them peacefully. Um, but Rousseau believes that this philosophy of the military guy of just like thinking that their ancestors owned everything even though they don't have any proof of it is like a mammalian idea that's just like poison for his tribe so he's trying to keep the peace basically um, so back at school Russo concludes his speech and for some reason the girls are dressed as maids and serve him tea as part of their preparatory committee it's just interesting uh, but for some reason he didn't like the tea uh, I couldn't oh, exactly tell why from how it was animated it was a french tea maybe it was too hot maybe it was too bitter i i don't know i couldn't really tell um so yeah that's the first half of the episode all right here we go second half of this episode is a shit show so it starts off <laughs> with
0: <laughs> an animated well, version like, you just called the shit show but i i think i enjoyed the second half better
1: oh god <sighs> all right so This second half of the episode of A Centaur's Life, a show that literally two episodes ago had a 32 second scene of a lowly centaur getting nakedly dressed in her swimsuit as she makes lowly cooing noises (laughs) and recently had a scene where three animal girls compared the looks of their vaginas together among other ridiculously <laughs> funny and stupid scenes decides that this episode it's gonna do a fucking holocaust themed episode and try to land it in a serious way <laughs> and that makes me
0: so angry <laughs> like, it was, it's so out of place
1: <laughs> it's so ridiculous like right, we I'll always knew there there's like
0: dark things going on with the government and stuff and then they kept bringing up uh like segregation and all that stuff earlier. So to have a holocaust actually happen in happen in that world is very believable, but yeah. them put it in an episode, a whole half of an episode is like bonkers. I don't that was not a good call, I don't think.
1: Yeah, so the second half is basically a flashback uh to like a a World War 2 era version of this world and it starts off with like B-17 bombers doing a like a bombing run of some like probably European city Uh, and then there's like a firing squad on the ground of like some like Nazi looking centaur officers murdering prisoners of war um and then we see there's like this blonde kid who's mixed in with those prisoners of war I think he's like a cat kid I can't tell he was either a cat kid or a goat kid I think he was a cat kid um we see a train of these people being carried somewhere and so at this point you're like okay they're actually doing like a holocaust segment because you know people were put on trains and taken to concentration camps to be executed um, or worked to death either way um, so if, if that's the case though it was strange to me that like the boy who is like the point of view for us in this segment is like a blonde haired fair skinned boy who is literally like an angel <laughs>
0: Yeah, I was trying to figure out who they were, like, segregating, but there was a mix of everybody on both sides, so... That was my other issue with it, is that, yeah, there were
1: so... There were centaurs on both sides, Uh, there were, like... Yeah, there was just a mix of, like, a whole different mix. There was no, like, defining trait of, like, who was being discriminated against here. So I guess they Um, were going after their religious views or something, I would suppose... I I would guess, but they didn't. They never mentioned that. Like, so they never nope. said anything about that. Uh, so that was kind of disappointing because it would have been interesting if they had like said that. Uh, but anyway, and it would have made um,
0: sense too for this world. Like, if, it it would have made. If, sense It's like all the yes. angel folk were in this encampment.
1: Like there, there's a scene later. I'm just gonna jump around a little bit because like there's a scene where the boy is talking to a man in a hut as like a couple other guys are fighting. Not not a hut, like one of the like tents in the concentration camps. And the man is like you know, uh, it doesn't matter like if we all, even if we all looked exactly the same, people would still quarrel with each other over the differences of their clothing. Um, Which is probably true. Like people always find, it's like in human nature to like find differences in people and like uh, separate over those differences. But uh, so basically what happens over the course of this camp, like, you know, they're being worked to death, like the boy's barely keeping up. He's like, suffering from malnutrition, like he keeps being punished for working too slowly. Um, there's one centaur prisoner who seems to get special treatment from the officers, probably because they're also centaurs. Um, and the rest of the, you know, prisoners get like really upset about this. Like they get really upset at him and they think he's a traitor, basically. He also uh, but gets
0: it, extra food too, but yes. they say, oh, well, that's, you know based on scientific stuff. He needs the more food, obviously.
1: Yeah, he's much larger than they are. So he would scientifically require more food, they say. But yeah. um, he seems to sort of be buddy-buddy with one of, like, the head officers. He, like, walks around and talks with him sometimes. So, like, yeah, he's really getting the ire of everybody in camp. And there's this one scene where the little boy is getting punished yet again and um, the centaur takes him behind a shed and acts like he's beating the crap out of him except he's actually just kicking like a little sack of something and he throws his like leftover food to the boy and says like hey eat up you gotta keep your strength and he explains that like uh, he's probably gonna die in this camp oh, and even if he was freed he would probably be executed as a traitor for I guess the things that he did in the camp or did outside the camp I don't know um. So he's just like, I want you to survive because you're a good person. And the more good people that survive in this world, the better chance we'll have in the future to stop things like, like this from happening. Uh, so like basically at, right after this, like the camp comes under attack by a liberation force, like literally wearing like allied helmets, like from the US liberating concentration camps in World War II and there's like a centaur who is like the head of the forces who like liberates the camp which was also strange because like the camp is being run by these like Nazi centaurs but then there's also like American centaurs (laughs) who are like freeing them it was just it was just a weird mix of things Um, but anyway uh, like before as the camp is being taken over the centaur who helped the boy inside of the camp got strung up and hung and killed and executed by the other prisoners of war and then they wanted to kill the boy too because like somebody saw him getting food from that centaur Um, but like the American allied soldier centaur like drives them off and says no and then he says to the boy like if you don't have any family to go back to you can come back to my country Um, and so that's when we get the reveal that the angel folk businessman from the first half of the episode is now all grown up. He's the one who shook hands with the uh, frog guy. And he is the little boy from the concentration camp. He also has a picture frame on his desk with him and the centaur who was the soldier who took him in and like raised him basically. So the message of this episode is just basically, you know, that like you, you should show tolerance and like prop up the actions of good people who do the right things. And regardless of race or ethnicity, you should show people respect. Um, It's like learning from the mistakes of our past but this show is not the right place to, to do this. Like no. you can't do all this stupid shit and like it's just it's just such a ridiculous tonal lip, whiplash like to have this Holocaust episode just randomly it didn't it didn't even involve any of our main characters like at all. Like they they had no ish- they had no views on this. It's just like a world building episode right in the middle but it's just uh, it didn't fit in at all, I, and I was kind of like I was borderline offended that they like actually thought they could throw this Holocaust episode into this show. I, I'm not really offended, but like borderline, like it's almost too much. So yeah, I don't know. What did you think?
0: Uh, I I kind of share all your same thoughts. There's I did not like this really episode at all, especially the first part. That fo- that frog guy was just that was stupid. Yeah. I don't even know why he was there. Just didn't introduce (laughs) us to the angel guy who then we get to see him in the Nazi camp. I mean, okay. I I think
1: he was there because he was trying in the modern times to get his tribe of people to embrace peaceful resolutions rather than war. And they thought that that somehow like had a, was a good parallel to the angel folk businessman who survived a concentration camp and learned lessons back then of, tolerance towards different people because like you know there's this whole running theme in this show of like how everyone has to be tolerant of everyone else like and the way japan
0: implements it is like you'll go to jail if you're not like immediately (laughs) well i'm starting to regret being this being my first podcast completely sober already so (laughs) (laughs) uh i've got uh fancy football at drafting at eight o'clock so i need to be Hundred percent make very important decisions. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Draft Tom Brady. There you go. No, <laughs> you should though. <laughs> All right. So, uh, yeah, let's move on because I don't, I don't even want to talk about that anymore. It was just ridiculously out of place to have that episode in this series, anyway. And I, I, I assume they're just going to go back to like like um, animal girl hijinks from here on out. So like, probably, yeah. Anyway, all right. So the uh, next show, why don't you take it?
0: Uh, Princess Principle, Episode 9, Pell-Mell Duel. And I had to look up Pell-Mell. Didn't know off the top of my head. But the definition is, as an adverb, in a confused, rushed, or disorderly manner, adjective, recklessly, hasty, or disorganized, headlong, noun, a state of affairs or collection of things characterized by haste or confusion. You get the mm. idea. Yeah. So, we open with Chise writing to her older sister about being a spy and the peculiarities between her culture and the Western culture. And I saw your your yeah. what you wrote, and my first thing was, pretty sure you talked to nobody about being a spy. I was like, yeah, why are you writing
1: an open letter that's going to travel international borders to your sister saying that you're a
0: spy? That's crazy. You're, you're crazy. You're not a good spy. <laughs> and basically, you just use it as a way that she can basically be the narrator this episode which was yeah. it was cool i was fine with that uh so she and uh, he she starts to introduce uh beatrice who is awoken by a terrible smell it's kind of funny uh th- she thinks she brought in uh favorite food again natto but <laughs> she's just fermenting vegetables this time <laughs> yeah i looked up like new
1: and it's like fermenting vegetables into like a pickled form it sounds like it would smell
0: pretty bad <laughs> yeah I mean that's what natto is is fermented beans so yeah after the OP Chise goes on to describe her days she says the food isn't that great as we look at her breakfast that consists of burnt toast <laughs> burnt eggs and like blood pudding sausage and like she just st- stealthily keeps sneaking bites of her onigiri she has in her lap so that's funny uh, <laughs> at 8 o'clock classes begin and she hasn't grasped concept constant writing in English just yet but she's mostly good in everything else and all I can say is she say, Don't worry about it too much The English language is a fucking disaster <laughs> And it's a wonder any of us Seem to get it even partially right <laughs> So it, It's true dude If you compare our language to other people's It's terrible We have rules that don't make sense Nor apply half the time so whatever
1: Yeah it's, it's random a lot <laughs> It's yeah. really weird
0: uh, So 9 o'clock it's physical education And during a game of cricket uh, say hits the ball, sending it flying like you would when you draw a samurai sword. And everybody's like, oh, 10 o'clock is music. And the only instrument she can play is the conch shell. <laughs> so she's, everybody's like, has <laughs> flutes and violins. And she says it just in the back, like, Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was having me laughing pretty good. Um, 11 o'clock is art, and she draws Beatrice, but she draws her like an Asian lady. (laughs) So it's pretty (laughs) funny, and Beatrice yells at her. Uh, 12 o'clock, it's basically free time, and she stays out walking with Beatrice, and she sees some people practicing fencing, and she wants to uh, fence, so she thought she heard through you know it's custom throw a white turnip at your opponent but actually we know it's a white glove and says she's like she hits her with a turnip and the two end up dueling anyways and like a teacher steps in to stop it and just gets like whacked by chise so that's funny too uh she goes to lunch and she describes the rest of her fellow spies dorothy is the leader and when she pinches her collar it's because she has a mission to tell them about uh the princess also has bodyguards at the school that report on what she has been doing so when they have to meet covertly sometimes they use the laboratory as cover. In there three other girls walk in and we get introduced to Lily, Lily Gavstone who is also one of the home secretary's collaborators. Uh, she's also the daughter of the chief, chief of justice she's not a trained spy but seems to take the role of popular class bully instead uh, Chise and the princess do a pretty much great job of like shutting her down when she starts to pick on Ange
1: <laughs> yeah, that was a pretty good burn by the princess. She was like... Uh, yeah. <laughs> she was like... Because uh, like, she was like... Uh, Lily is like, you should choose your friends better. And then princess is like, but I thought of you as my friend. Should I reconsider that? It was pretty good
0: burn. <laughs> She's like, uh, th- 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 n- no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, when they carry out the missions, they use an underground tunnel to come and go that leads to a garage where their vehicles Wait. Uh, there's a pretty funny part where Dorothy uses her boobs to get into the building and distract the guard, allowing Angie to get onto the roof. say describes it as a weapon that she has not been able to acquire yet.
1: <laughs> boob jokes. Number one. They'll be back in this
0: podcast. <laughs> oh, there's so many boob jokes this week. I'm glad you caught onto it, too. I was like, how many boob jokes can there be? <laughs> Apparently this is the week for boob jokes but
1: look it's the week nine they've run out the writers have run out of like actually good ideas they're like okay we got to go back to the tried and tested boob size jokes let's do it
0: <laughs> uh, but Chise meets regularly with regularly with uh, Lord Harikawa and it wasn't if it wasn't evident yet so Chise is actually there to spy on them also to determine which side will win and that's so they know who to side with you know they they're taking their own Personal measures to make sure they're on the winning side They're also there to Supposedly help this agreement that they're Trying to get to Uh, Chise is later watching a butterfly on the Trail come out of its cocoon when a bunch of Asshole dudes are like taking up the Entire path and like one dude like kills the Butterfly so kills the butterfly because like, Chise won't move out of their way even though she's only taking up a small portion of the thing and then like she slaps him in the face with a white glove <laughs> to challenge him to a duel but fortunately the other girls show up to avert the situation Princess later shows up to Chise's room to explain all the rule, exact rules for dueling Chise gets her duel and faces off against Mr. Asshole he has provided the pistols for the duel and it's obvious he is up to something this was kind of I thought cliche this happens all the time yeah. So, of course, Chisei's gun misfires, and his fires perfectly. So, like, Chisei picks up the bullet and uses a rock sling to, like, nail him in the right shoulder. Uh, I kind of found a loophole here. The show went out of its way to tell us they value the fairness of the duels above anything else, which is specifically why they use pistols. Yeah. So, Chisei just used a different weapon. She may use the little bullet, but she used a rock sling. Uh, yeah.
1: So yeah, that would be completely disallowed. Yeah. Yeah, um, I would feel that. But
0: she, uh, Lily's there because she, she's supposed to be the third party witness, you know. And she's like, I'll wa- allow it. And like, Chise ends up winning, completely hum- humiliates the other guy. That's just this whole little scene. I also wonder how fast
1: Shisei would have to swing that sling for a like a round bullet to actually break skin, like it did. Like, that must have been really damn fast.
0: I don't know. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, I'm not sure myself. I don't know either, yeah. Yeah. But, Chisi, at the end of the scene, does comment, uh, because the only per- person there with her is Princess, and she goes, oh, the others didn't show up. And I immediately, and you, your, your brain was, went one direction, and mine went oh, the man. one the show wanted it to go, and I went, yeah,
1: <laughs> where are they? That's really suspicious. My, so my brain just, like, freaking went haywire on this one, because I, I didn't realize that um, Beatrice, Dorothy, and Ange were not present in that scene. I thought they were all standing on the sidelines. So I was like, who the hell is she talking about that didn't come? Is she talking about, like, her (laughs) sister who she was writing letters to? Is she talking about her father who died? Like, I I don't even know what's going on. So I, like, did all this, like, looking up, like, the Japanese, like, words that she actually said. (laughs) I asked people for, like, can you translate this? And then, like, I came back and I was like, oh, the original translation was the best one. I just, like, didn't understand the context. And I'm reading your notes, saying. and I'm like,
0: Who, what
1: where,
0: What did he miss?
1: <laughs> I, just, I just totally missed that they were not at this uh, duel. And so she was like, oh, they didn't come. I guess she was upset that her friends weren't there to support her.
0: Yeah, uh, I think yeah. I was already kind of thinking it. It just wasn't in the forward part of my brain. It was just in the back until the show brought it up. And I was like, yeah, that is weird. Yeah. So... Chise meets with the Lord again and he pressures her again about if she thinks Pro- Project Changeling will succeed since he is there to help settle the treaty uh, back at their housings Ange meets her outside and says they have a meeting and when Chise goes to the room nobody's in there uh, turns out the girls are celebrating her win and they of course get the celebration all wrong because they try to do it like they do where in Japan where she's from Yeah, they
1: if, try to do like a sumo wrestler like I don't know congratulations ceremony yeah it for, was like sarah samurai and it's yeah, all wrong
0: it was basically the show just showing uh you know chise has been getting a lot of our customs wrong and then she's and then it's just showing everybody else getting her customs wrong so it's just kind of <laughs> neat but it also seen but this is where we find out that the other girls used the duel earlier to sneak into lily's room since she was away mediating for the duel This also made Chisei feel like she was useful because earlier in the episode she said she wasn't feeling that useful. Uh, It turns out Lily had a direct phone line in her room where she was reporting, I believe, on the princess and stuff like that. So what they ended up doing was uh, tampering with the line and now they can listen in on the conversations. So that's cool. Yeah. And that's the end of the episode.
1: So wait, who does that... um who does that Lily Gavison person have a direct line to? I can't remember. Is it like the I Duke wanted to of say Normandy it was her father
0: who was. Oh, yeah. where one was of the that?
1: home secretaries. Who
0: is also one of the home secretaries collaborations. And it said, I forgot to put it in here, but her father. Oh, she's the daughter of the chief of justice.
1: Oh, that's right. Yeah. 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 Okay. So like listening to her, they could hear some sensitive information. Supposedly, right. yes. So I was a little bit disappointed in this episode just because I felt that we'd already had like a couple of decent backstory episodes about Chisei. So it felt weird to me for them to do like a point of view episode again of her that is set in the past and not in the present. Like I just keep wanting the show to move forward and like execute whatever its final arc is going to be. Like a, a parts of this episode almost felt like a recap to me because... She says, telling, like, how she thinks of the girls, like, from her perspective. And she's telling us things that we, like, already know about these girls. So it's like, uh, I've heard all this information before. Like, why are we even doing this? And then even the duel and the outcome of the duel and, like, her conversations with Lord Horikawa don't seem to change anything that she told Lord Horikawa in prior episodes. Like, she still doesn't know which side to join, so, I just felt like the plot didn't really move forward much. Like, the only things that happened were they got this, like, listening post in for, like, the, you know, the Justice guy. Uh, and she became closer friends with the girls. And I was just like, that's not enough at this point. This is episode nine of this series. Like, it needs to start moving now. Like, I don't know. I'm kind
0: of disappointed. Well, yeah, I'm a little disappointed. We're not really focusing on the world, but. Maybe that's just because that's what we were expecting, and the show maybe did not have that intention in the first place. So, Yeah. I can't hold it, it to it yet. I think I need to see this see the rest of this whole twelve episode series before I make any. Uh, I don't yeah, know, judge, judgmental decision. I'm on it. So,
1: yeah, we got three more episodes to go, which is a decent amount of time. If they if those episodes are as dense as the first two episodes of the series were then they could definitely end it in an interesting way. I still think it's like salvageable. It's just they need to start moving.
0: Yeah, but they're going to do it with the last three episodes when they do it, so.
1: Uh, Speaking of series that don't need to start moving because they just stay at the same pace and it's relaxing, on Tuesdays, we have Restaurant to Another World. Uh, Episode 10 is called Fried Seafood Slash Melon Soda Float. Uh, All right, so the first half of this episode... Uh, we meet two dwarves, one named Gillum and his friend, who I never caught that guy's name. I don't think they ever said his name in the episode. So it's just um. Gillum and his friend. Um, <laughs> don't,
0: I, don't, I don't really remember, <laughs> but I can say these two dwarves can fucking drink.
1: Holy <laughs> yeah, shit. They can. Oh, they're like barrels. They're like never ending barrels. So um, they climb, they're climb. they climbing up this mountain, and Gillum has like, constructed a, a log cabin, kind of like shoddy build but it works and there's a door that appears there to restaurant Nekia Uh, so he takes his friend there for the first time they go in and they order the fried seafood dish uh, which is like fried cod, fried squid wing uh, squid wings, squid rings sorry, and scallops and as well as two mugs of like beer and a bottle of whiskey with rocks is what they say, it's on the rocks but with rocks is what they say I don't
0: know, yeah Um, then. Maybe. Well, that couldn't be a mistranslation, so I don't know what happened there. I mean, unless with rocks means that you you
1: get two glasses with ice in them and you you pour the whiskey on yourself. Like, is that a distinction from on the rocks where like they serve it to you with the whiskey already in the ice in the glass? I don't know. Maybe there's some crazy distinction I don't know about. I don't know either, man. So Gillum is apparently the best brewer of these dwarves, and his friend is surprised that, like, he would praise this restaurant's, like, liquors and spirits uh, over his own. Uh, back in the kitchen, like, Kuro is relaying the dwarves' orders, and Aletta shows her how to, like, properly fill a mug of beer with a 7 to 3 ratio of beer to foam, which looks really good, honestly. Um when they get their beers, Gillum and his friend, like, just down them. And then they admire the craftsmanship of the glass mugs, which are, like, much smoother, much more uniform than the ones that they can create. Uh, so they order two even bigger mugs of beer, which they also just immediately down even before they get their food. Uh, and then they get the, like, the fried me fish. me brain
0: freeze watching
1: them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they get the fried fish and then a few more beers and like they just like scarf them down especially the friend who like eats his entire dish dish of fish before Gillum says like oh by the way there's tartar sauce and it's really good and enhances the taste of the fish and he's like what why don't you tell me sooner so they order three more plates of the fried fish so he can try it out and then they also get their body bottle of whiskey and this was the the section of the episode that was dedicated just to leo with the dwarves sipping sipping away at their whiskey and enjoying it
0: i'm <laughs> mm. um, talking about alcohol when i'm sitting here stone cold sober
1: <laughs> move on to, to my surprise Gillum also tells his friend about different things that he's tried at this restaurant like he's tried the seishu sake which is like clear sake and uh other unfried fish dishes finally there's a customer at this restaurant who eats more than one thing. I'm very impressed. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> when the dwarves like wake up, they're back in that cabin. I guess they they get they get kicked back to the place that they came in from. And uh, Gillum's friend decides he's going to make some improvements to the construction for next time. So he builds out the cabin with like stone walls. And other uh, necessities like really nice beds it's like a nice place for um, travelers to stop uh, in when they need to and they need a break in the mountains but he also installs this like ridiculously elaborate steel vault door that only in Gil- he and Gillum have the key to and it covers the entrance to restaurant nekia so they can keep it all to themselves so that's the first part in the second part we're introduced to a prince who kind of looks like Aladdin, and he's from the Western continent. His name is Sharif, and he also has a little sister named Princess Renner, who is now probably top three hottest girls in this show, uh, yep. which is saying a lot, because there are some really gorgeous girls in this show. Uh, and so they go to restaurant Nekuya, uh, Sharif has had his eye on Princess Adelheid, who is a character we met in a previous episode. She's the princess with blonde hair. Uh, she loves the parfaits and uh, she has like a strange illness that keeps her from like doing too much. Uh, she's like locked up in her castle in a room. Uh, so Sharif and his sister are from this like Arabian style area on the western continent called the Land of Sand where magic is very common. Original.
0: Yeah, that's so original, Land <laughs> of Sand. They must be hiring the guy who does the titles for <laughs> <it>. <laughs> Centaur's Life. He's, he's just so
1: busy this this anime season. He gets around to every studio. Um, so magic is very common here, and recently there's been this magic that has been used to create iced coffee that has spread like wildfire. Um, Sharif is intent on marrying... Uh, Adelheid, the eastern continent princess and has made some like diplomatic moves to tie their alliances close together and but his sister reminds him that like hey there probably won't be any marriage talks with them because the princess still is suffering from her illness so Renner is Sharif's sister by the way but from another mother Uh, and at that point I was like please don't go Aramanga sensei on me show oh god Uh, (laughs) Her mother was this lowborn noble who won the king's heart and became the court magician. Uh, And then like she taught Renner and Sharif magic as they were children. Um, So anyway, they head back to the restaurant. Sharif orders like a coffee float uh, with ice cream and Renner orders a melon soda float with soft serve ice cream. And they they focus on Renner and how she enjoys her melon soda in like three ways. She enjoys just like eating the ice cream off the top or drinking the melon soda through a straw or the third way, which is waiting for some of the ice to like melt into smaller pieces and then getting like a spoonful of that and a little bit of the melon
0: soda and like crunching into it. Let's Uh, be honest. That whole scene was just so we could look at her luscious lips.
1: And her luscious breasts, probably, because she's packing some big ones, so... Yep. She's very, very beautiful. I love her character design. Um, but then, uh, what's her name? Adelheid shows up, and Renner is, like, trying to get her brother to, like, move forward, so she's like, please, <laughs> hey, sit with us. He's um, a little shy. <laughs> yeah, he is. And so... Edelheid orders her, like, chocolate parfait as usual. Renner, since they're done with their drinks, she orders, like, a cola float, and Sharif orders, like, Vienna coffee because... He wants to warm himself up. Also, he's just so embarrassed and so nervous that he cannot even look at Adelheid because she's too beautiful. And he's just like turned away and blushing. <laughs> and Renner's just like shaking her head and thinking to herself, if my brother could just hold himself with like even a shred of his normal dignity around this girl, like he, she would fall for him instantly. But he sits and blushes and looks away. And that's basically where the episode ends. But uh, I liked that they keep bringing uh, characters from previous episodes back and interweaving them into new stories or other characters' plots, and I like that. They also showed a map this episode of like the all of the continents of this world where a lot of these people come from, and I was actually interested, Like, do you think this restaurant is only connected to that one world? Because I wasn't under that impression at first, but... I think everybody, every character just comes from this one other world, even if it's like the space dragons, uh, because they seem to all just be living on different continents and stuff.
0: It does seem to be that way, especially yeah, since they did this episode and we know that one was interacting with another and that happened the last episode also. So I'm just, yeah, assuming it connects to a completely different uh, reality or world and not like multiple different ones.
1: Yeah, I think it's just one other world with a lot of different areas where a lot of different kinds of people come from. Because I think I even remember seeing a scene where they saw they were like looking up at the night sky and they saw the broken off moon. And it's the same moon that the the space dragon lives on, Kuro or whatever. So, yeah.
0: Interesting. Hmm. We will see. Um,
1: yeah, I liked that melon fl- soda float. I did not get one of those while I was in Japan and I kind of regret it now.
0: Uh, see, I don't like
1: really like melon, so I probably wouldn't like it. Yeah, I don't know how much I would like it either. I think the coffee float would have been pretty awesome, though.
0: That would have been good. All right. Okay. Are you ready? I am very ready. All right. Let's talk about Surrey Dure, children, and try not to gush over the show for too long. <laughs> Episode nine, square one. Why does it say episodes? I hate that shit. <laughs> I have no idea uh so chizuru and takaro's class is doing swimming today and the two keep catching each other's eye contact uh chizuru's like really started to consider love for the first time in her life because when she first started off like to her anybody even romantically uh thinking romantically about her it was just like impossible they finally do like an awkward wave but neither can figure out if the other was waving at them or not and they eventually line up side by side before they get to do their swim and then they have their little convo and they get most of the misunderstandings out of the way uh but then chizuru asks, you know who was the girl that you kept looking at and you know i i was it the girl next to me or something but then like teachers like blows her whistle for them to jump into the pool and swim and he's like oh i was looking at you and like it caused and then he just quickly jumps into the pool and like <laughs> causes her to freeze up which is pretty funny uh the teacher's like what are you doing and it's like she jumps in and she contemplates this whole thing and she swims down to the end and she gets to the other end of the pool and when she gets down there she says i was looking at you also but it's actually go to sitting at the other end because toguro <laughs> like made a break for it as soon as he got out and go to like is like do you want me to relay this message to him? She's like, no, don't no. do it. Don't <laughs> do no, no. Really I just funny. liked
1: in this scene how, uh, before they got in the pool, like he, like he was trying to stop himself from looking at her, but he couldn't do it. Like he literally physically could not stop from looking at her in the swimsuit. And like, as someone who used to be like an adolescent boy growing up and like would have like summer swimming lessons and stuff with like other girls from my school, like, that is very accurate <laughs> like mm-hmm. you cannot stop yourself from looking sometimes like it's just hormones are raging and yeah, you're just we're like, in middle school so here
0: yeah, oh man exactly <laughs> nobody knows how to handle your hormones yet <laughs> okay our next couple uh conda is in class worried about what she should do since uh takase hasn't gotten back to her about her confession over a month ago uh, she debates just saying maybe they should go back to being friends instead but Takase on the other hand feels like he might have waited too long to accept her confession he's just basically being super super shy uh, I didn't really think too much about the scene but the two proceed to get almost nowhere since they have no idea what the other is thinking so misunderstandings happen and they are still not dating just in this awkward limbo between friends and dating
1: yeah that, uh, that scene was a little flat for me I, I didn't yeah. get much out of that one
0: yeah, and I couldn't really say much without just writing it word for word. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. All right. I, mean, I like this couple, though. We're back to our kissing couple, Kamine and Gota. Uh, Kamine wants to kiss again because the first kiss took her by surprise, and she choked. But when they show her remembering it, it looks like she just, like, coughed into his mouth.
1: Yeah, that's how it looked <laughs> the first time, too. It was so weird.
0: It's really funny. Uh, but the problem is she doesn't know how to bring this up. Uh, they end up at the park where she makes it apparent they are alone, and Goda, on the other hand thinks her odd behavior is about the kiss and promises himself not to do it for a while again. Uh, Kamine says, "Doesn't it, doesn't being here alone make you think of that kiss?" Clearly implying she wants to do it again, but to thinks she wants to go someplace else because she's uncomfortable about it. <laughs> but then Kamine boldly like lays her head on his shoulder. Like saying she's sleepy and she's like, Oh, do you want to go home? She's like, No, I just want to lay here. And then she puts her head in his lap. <laughs> she's like, She's like losing her mind at this point. Her heart rate's going off the top. And then to actually nods off himself and starts so like slouch closer and closer and closer to Kamine's face, who's like expecting a kiss. But then he like wakes up and he's like, Oh, I'm sorry, I almost hit your face. But like her brain is like fried at this point. She can't take it anymore.
1: My only objection with this scene is that if, your girlfriend had her head in your lap, you would not fall asleep. <laughs> like, that would just not happen. Like, he went to sleep immediately, too. Yeah, he just fell asleep. She's like, I wonder if this will put him, put him in the mood. And then she looks up and he's sleeping. She's like, oh, maybe he's tired from
0: his club or something.
1: Yeah. I didn't take it. <laughs> that was funny.
0: Okay, now on to my favorite character, Minakawa.
1: This is the best scene. Yeah,
0: yeah we, and we didn't get to talk about this because we hadn't picked this up yet but she became my favorite character when uh fura's uh little sister got on his phone and pretended to be him (laughs) and then she instantly
1: recognizes her and then messes with her
0: yeah i loved that scene i'm like this is my favorite character in this show i just love how she's messing with her she's Uh, like
1: yeah yo he slept over my house the other day we slept together and then the little (laughs)
0: sister's like they slept together
1: why would they do that? <laughs> it's just
0: so It's funny. like she it messages back. She's like, what are you talking about? All we do is sleep together. She's, But then she's like, but what about the baby? <laughs> like, <laughs> and then she her loses her sister's it.
1: mind, like, explodes. <laughs> and then
0: yeah, she, like, but, goes,
1: like, crying to mom, like, Furia made a baby! Or, like, Minagawa, whatever his name is.
0: <laughs> well, I really like Minagawa because she's very, very clever. And she loves just to play with Furia because... She just loves to tease him, and it's super easy. She constantly goes between "I was joking" and stuff like that, or I didn't really mean it. When she says she's likes him and stuff, and she's trying to find out uh, a way to say "I like him" in a serious way, because she keeps doing it playfully. And she starts doing it in various tones and like poses, trying to find her tools, true self. And she eventually says, "Maybe I can't do my serious like in words." So she says for him to close his eyes. She leans in seductively, saying, "Keep your eyes closed." and she just keeps saying it and gets closer and closer and then the stupid curtains get in her way and it <laughs> looks like she is kissing him uh but then the curtains go fall back and they're apart again And she's holding up two of her fingers teasing him and he says you just use your fingers you sh-. she says i never said that can't you tell my serious like from my fingers well can you and he can't answer and if we go <laughs> by how she messes with him she did kiss him I don't even know Probably
1: Yeah probably she did And then Yeah because
0: Yeah yeah. because Very early on She's like I like you And he's like Are you being He's like really And then she goes I'm kidding So Yeah it just To me it means She did kiss him
1: I feel like the voice actress Did an amazing job Of saying the word Ski in like so many different slightly different tones like they just did a like a they knocked it out of the park because like every single time she said ski she said it in a very slightly different way
0: she enunciated it out of like that whole sentence ski stuck out more than anything yeah yeah. it was really well done actually yeah it was very good uh the only yeah (laughs) that makes me think of the voice actress who does aho girl I don't she either she loves that job or she hates it because she throws her voice out after every episode. <laughs> yeah, probably. Okay. You got anything else you want to add to Rachel? Uh,
1: no, just that this continues to be awesome. I, I look forward to watching it every week. It's so good.
0: Okay. Now we can move on to Wednesdays with Soccer Quest, episode twenty two, the new moon luminaria. Uh, Kadota visits the woodworker who is building them a new shrine to mount the golden dragon and he just comes bearing some refreshments and stuff like that they just have a little chit chat but uh, our six girls from the last episode are still at the park not our six girls our six people the three guys and the three girls are still at the park trying to figure out the code with no luck meanwhile Shiori and Maki are at the dorms making food I assumed preparing dinner and stuff whatnot. And Erica comes downstairs, demanding the end of the story. Mocking tells her the woman was just running from her wedding, so it wasn't really a big thing or anything like that. And also, of all the times for Shiori to wear her hair down, it's when she's cooking. That was dumb. But, yeah, and
1: I think also the point of that wedding story, I think, was that like, um, like the bride like had all these dreams about what her wedding would be like, and then when she actually got there, it wasn't the same like and so like Eric is like are you telling are you trying to tell me like I shouldn't go to Tokyo basically
0: yeah, yeah. but we go back to the six in the park and Riri R- R- cracks the code by reading it vertically instead and in just a different way the first thing to do is walk 2420 steps from the rabbit which would take them way out of the park so they're like what the heck so they go to Aunt Angelica's to try to figure it out and really get nowhere and then the girls end up going back to the dorm at the dorm they're all sitting around eating snacks I wonder what happened to the Dinner. I thought they were making earlier. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I was like, huh? So Yoshino like starts to get on Erica for leaving her mom alone to run the restaurant and go to the city, but then she stops herself before she gets too far because she starts to have déjà vu because that's exactly what she wanted when she first like moved away and stuff like that. Yep. It was pretty funny. Uh, was exactly
1: like, like her mom did back then. Yeah. Yeah.
0: But uh, I guess it's starting to snow really heavy, so Yoshino and Riri, Riri end up staying the night. Uh, and then are you ready for our second boob joke
1: yes i am
0: so shiori joins erica in the bath and it's boob joke time becomes favorite segment i knew he'd love this (laughs) erica looks at shiori and says they're floating are you trying to show off (laughs) <laughs>
1: and then like that that was it though like so first of all they don't show them they never show her boobs and they just move on immediately it's just like a quick joke and they drop it and that's why I was okay with this because like yeah, and just they just immediately break into
0: shorty uh, trying to convince Erica to at least wait till she is older before trying out her dreams you know you can still pursue your dreams just you need you need to wait a little bit longer before you can get there uh, Erica st- suddenly starts hurting and grabbing her jaw and it Turns out what she has is a loose molar because she still hadn't lost the last of her baby teeth. Uh, Cue this scene of insanity as everybody tries to figure out what to do about Erica's pain since she's not old enough to take the aspirin they have because she's still (laughs) underage. And there was just something I wanted to point out. I was like, as soon as I thought, I was like, wait, you still lose baby teeth in middle school? I wonder how true true this is. I should probably shoot my mom a text who is a dental assistant and then fortunately i didn't because monkeys, like oh i worked as a dental assistant for a while and this happens sometimes i'm like well i guess not i'm gonna bother at this point (laughs) uh but then (laughs) they eventually hold uh erica down like because there's supposed to be pressure points in your feet to help with the pain and all this is like tickler and like Shori's boobs are getting smashed into erica's face
1: Also, the pressure point was the wrong one. The one they used was the one for constipation.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So, But Riri's the smart one here and she calls her grandmother and, you know, asking if they still had some of that aspirin left. And she's like, no, but she contacts pharmacy and they said, oh, they would open up really quickly for them. So as Erica snoozes on the couch, Shiori talks about some of the great things she likes about the town. And Erica is actually awake on the couch and seems to consider what Shiori is saying. Uh, Angel- Angelica calls and asks if Ange is there, her little brother, and it seems he has disappeared looking for the golden dragon to wish Erica back home in the snowstorm and hasn't come back yet. The whole town goes on high alert looking for him. Erica also seems to be really worried about him. They finally think to look for him in Hippo Park because they talked to him earlier in that Angelica, so I don't know why it took him so long to think about that. Yeah. After looking around for a bit, Sanderson calls Kendachi, and says, oh, he found Anji in the park and is now at the police box with him. Um, Angie's delivered back to Angelica's and Erica shows up and the adults start to tell Erica she can always take care of her dreams later. And she just loses it because nobody will buy cool clothes in this town because she wants to open the uh, cool uh, store of cool clothes and stuff like that I like she's like yeah why
1: would they even buy a cool clothes why would they even come at night there's no not even lights in the shopping district like nobody would even see the cool clothes like she's just losing her shit
0: yeah and then her little brother Anji being a little kiss he's like i'll open a cool clothes stuff for you big sister then they all hug and i'm just like barfy sap sap stuff I was, and i didn't think it was that savvy because i i thought it was good for erica i was to fine until the little brother broke in and i was just like yeah God, i had to roll my eyes i was like was stupid
1: i just thought it was important for erica to realize that like her leaving would affect more than just her own future it affects her little brother as well like because yeah. he loves her he would grow up without her so
0: Yep. All right. So there's a quick scene of Erica's tooth like coming out while eating a cookie, which is the show just symbolizing she has grown up some flat out. Yeah. Um, The girls are like walking around town feeling kind of bummed about stores slowly disappearing one by one. And she already has an idea to hang lamps all over the shopping district. And they even have Doku install uh, LED lights in them instead. So that's cool. Uh, The point being, it will make the town look more inviting at night the uh, three guys end up cracking the code and find the buried treasure but when they open the box it's just a toy dragon Um, Hmm. as they drive back through town they go through the shopping district and see all the lanterns hung up and are just like totally floored by the whole thing so yeah I liked that part about them digging up the dragon and it just
1: being a toy because that's like how you remember things as a kid it's like oh this was that cool treasure we found but years later it's like oh it's not It's not actually anything impressive. (laughs) Just a little (laughs) toy we used to play
0: with. Yep. Okay. Now we can move on to Thursdays with gamers, which was a fantastic episode. And Bcom has no idea what he's talking about. He can Mm. take that advice I gave him last episode about shoving his opinions way up his butt. Way
1: up his (laughs) (laughs) butt. Take it literally. This episode. (laughs) And
0: I, from what I can tell, you. Um, a ton of other people really enjoyed the episode yeah I, did I think too. a lot of people really liked this
1: one uh, I don't know why it didn't click with me I, it clicked with me at the end but uh, not in the beginning couple parts
0: the second half just I was rolling I was <laughs> laughing so hard uh, episode 8 arrow gamer and watching mode slash gamers and half their life game <laughs> <laughs>
1: this is the goddamn centaur's life guy coming back he did a split title for them, too. He's just
0: making the rounds this week. This guy must be a consultant. <laughs> <laughs> He's really popular. But anyways, we open with a with a currently mysterious character talking about how she is good at academics and sports, but never got first place in anything. She was always second and third and was surprised when she became the student council president when she went to high school. Uh, it seems she had finally taken the top spot in something, but Karen seems to have ruined it for her somehow.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, this person turns out to be Konoha hoshino Bit of that, lots of nos in there. Chiaki's younger sister. Uh, she secretly enjoys erotic games and revels in being in the company of cute girls. So when so the rest, of she's the main character of Oro-Emo then I guess. <laughs> <laughs> no. Yeah. So no. when the rest of the student council leaves, that comprise of nothing but cute girls, Konoha locks the door and then rubs her face on one of the seats, like inhaling and stuff and. Saying, oh, I love the smell of young maidens. <laughs> She's like Master Roshi in a little girl's body. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually pretty funny. <laughs> uh, later that evening, she dresses up as an older man so she can sneak into the 18 plus section in a game store. While well, in there, she remembers hearing the rest of the student council behind a closed door talk about how if Karen had come to their school, she would be student council president instead. Kind of brings her down a little bit. But Keita and Ichi are also in the store and she starts spying on them because she recognizes their uniforms. She knows that's where her sister goes to and that's where Karen goes to also. She even describes Keita as the average game character in a dating sim. <laughs> <It's> so true. Which <laughs> yes, yeah, so true. Uh she overhears like Keita describing a game he recommends and it like really touches home for making like making her tear up.
1: Yeah, because at first Keita recommends like a very popular game, but mm-hmm. he's like oh, but I never said it would be a good game for you. Because like, like, uh, she's thinking to herself, oh, that's just a popular game. It's not actually good. And then he's like, actually, here's a game I really like. Uh, and it was one that she had like looked at briefly before as she was walking. And yeah, it's like a lesser known game, but it's actually a really good example of the genre. So she approves of that.
0: Yeah, it's pretty cool. Uh, then also we get like a lengthy, lengthy shot of her body back home showing us she has nowhere near the figure of Chiaki.
1: <laughs> yeah she's wearing like short shorts she's dressed very much like the girl from Oreimo, uh the main yeah. character uh, though the hair is different she's got like pigtail hair but still yep. it's similar
0: so the second half begins with Urahara trying to get everybody together so they can solve the misunderstandings and he does this by inviting everybody to play a board game called love love game of half life that <laughs> Chiaki's like mother or her won at like one of these raffles or something like this Half Life Three confirmed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so they decide to do at Chiaki's house, and you know Urahara gets everybody together. So we got Karen Urahara, Amano, uh, Chiaki. and one's Pink Hair Girl's name. Agir, oh, agree. Thank agree. Thank you. Yeah, and like they assemble at her house, and the atmosphere is already very awkward. And the game is set up so that you just go along with the events. It sets up for you in the game and there's not much else to it Uh, if anybody's ever played the, it's just called the game of life right
1: yeah Yeah. one of my favorite games growing up actually I love it
0: so (laughs) this is this cue this hilarious scene of each one going in turn and just all the absurd stuff on this board that just like correctly reflects their current misunderstandings. this is a very
1: messed up game of life this is (laughs) like every single thing that comes up is like a horrible relationship situation that somehow exactly parallels what's going on with the people
0: and this is where i think the writing in this show is just shining it's amazing So, here we go. I'm going to try to get through this without laughing too much. (laughs) Aguri goes first and lands on, newlywed life is going great. You are blessed with a new child on your honeymoon. You and your spouse receive 3,000 yen and gifts from everyone. And it turns out Mono is her spouse in the game. Hilarious. Like, she turns to him like, you got me pregnant? (laughs) Which they do again later on. Oh, man. And here we keep going uh the student part begins with the mano and agiri dating and chiaki can't find a job after graduating and karen rolls a eight and lands on your crush gets married and you become more focused on work Fifty thousand yen in extra income <laughs> karen just makes makes fucking bank during this game <laughs> <It's> <laughs> yeah but really she's funny. so freaking miserable <laughs> okay And Urahara lands on the marriage space and gets to spend once again and gets a chance to force a marriage with the person represented by the number. It lands on Chiaki, and (laughs) Aguri looks at Urahara threateningly. He's like, what can I do? (laughs) It's a game. (laughs) Chiaki takes her turn and gets your lover cheats on you, and you are forced to pay their lover compensation for mental suffering. You and your spouse lose 5,000 yen. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I love this all this, stuff, this show so this board game yeah, is so insane so it's
1: basically Uehara cheated on her right so Aguri and Keita both look at him like with these eyes
0: like of course you did <laughs> yes it's just everybody's reactions okay so we move on Amano spins and gets your lovey dovey newlywed life reaches high tide you bust your bed getting busy you and your spouse pay th- 6,000 yen <laughs> it's so great <laughs> and like Aguri is looking at like Amano all accusingly. He's like, "What?" And then Aguri rolls and gets the exact same thing. I literally could not breathe at this point. I didn't even notice that when
1: I was watching. That's actually really funny that they got the same thing. I was
0: losing it. Uh, Karen rolls and she gets your love interest won't even look at you, but you're popular with your clients. One hundred thousand (laughs) extra income, like absurd amounts of money. She keeps getting. Uahara spins and lands on. You cheat on your partner with their sister. There is bloodshed. Miss a turn.
1: (laughs) Oh, maybe that's the one I was thinking about when they look at him like, like, of course you cheated. Yeah, and then
0: like, I guess her Chiaki's little sister was in the hallway and like slams the door. And Uehara's like, I actually felt like the bloodlust coming from her in the back of his head. (laughs) Oh man, Chiaki spins and gets you realize that your soulmate was someone else. You learn that you had some fateful connections with them, and you become infatuated. <laughs> you get distracted at work and lose three thousand yen. And Uohara is just losing his shit at this point. He's like, "How accurate can this fucking game be?" <laughs> <laughs> uh, Amano spins and lands on the same space as Chiaki. <laughs> Now Urahara literally does lose his shit He like stands up and just spouts this crazy stuff And sits back down And it's fucking bonkers And they all actually have like a little moment Where they are actually enjoying playing the game We see them doing this But of course it doesn't last for long because guri rolls and gets the person you were seeing before makes a move on you she blushes and uraha sighs with like some relief and then she reads the rest of it but your love for your current partner is unwavering you turn him slash her down with a without a second thought and reaffirm your own love you have yet another child and a guri looks at amano again like what the hell man (laughs) Then Karen spins and gets you become an important person. You make money, earn one thousand <laughs> yen. <laughs> she's, she's like,
1: they're just, not even trying anymore. <laughs> and she—that was
0: maybe my favorite part. I like. She's a just lot. so deflated at this point. She's just, like lost her will to live. <laughs> but Chiaki's sister shows up and asks if she can talk to her real quick. Uh, Chiaki leaves the room and Amano says he's interested in Chiaki's sister, but no, not in a weird way. He's like, you know, you just, you just wonder, you know, the similarities between them. I don't know. I, I get what he means. Yeah, he just they, they have very right similar
1: faces. They're very similar yeah. people. He's never seen her before.
0: Yeah, uh, but Amano gets a game in event in, in, in my in Urahara, like uses his toe to hide Chiaki's phone under the couch because if they're in the same room, he's afraid they might figure it out. And we know he does this because he's trying to hook Karen up with Amano. That's yeah. Why. So
1: that's the reason, right? He 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 wants Karen and Amano to work out. That's that's why he's trying to hide from Chiaki. Or and that's does, why he
0: wants Amano and Chiaki to have the misunderstanding about each other.
1: Or does, he, or does he just like that Chiaki fawns over him all the time? Is that the other part of it? No, I don't get that at all. I think he kind of likes it. Otherwise, why would he keep going out with her all the time?
0: No, he's so distraught with Aguri, though
1: yeah that's true and that's part of why i was annoyed by the a little parts little scenes in this episode because i'm just like come on dude just tell a how you freaking feel and then finally they deliver on that so
0: yeah so like so the show basically starts wrapping up a lot of misunderstandings like right now karen starts watching a monoplay over his shoulder and they're having like a little moment and a slides over to her saying she's glad it's working out between those two and you know, Urahara finally confronts Aguri and what she thinks of a mono. They end up holding hands since that situation is solved now. That's nice. Yes. And Karen is asking about the people he plays with online because she's really interested. And like Shiaki walks in, hearing all of this about an in game name and the people he plays with. And he's just, Throwing and this praise on freeware her. Freeware game know. developer. Who he's, he's talking about the game developer really name him. and like yeah. the best person he plays with is, you know, her. And she's just taking this in. And Urihara, as you would assume, is about to have an aneurysm. Yep. <laughs> and you but just also,
1: Chiaki Chi- finally fucking figures it out, too. She, he keeps, you just he see you her sitting the there nicknames. and it
0: slowly starts to come to realization <laughs> that they know each other. Uh, and like Amano, like I said, he's just laying the praise on heavily for her. And it just ends scene. And then after that scene with Konoha finding like Chiaki on the floor with her brain basically shutting down. It's hilarious. I love this episode so much.
1: <laughs> there's uh there's a funny line. Well not, I don't actually didn't think I thought it was a stupid line. So like, you know, there, I thought it was like, funny. Several times through this series they they've referred to people as normies and it's just like, oh god, fucking 4chan normies get out. There's this <laughs> there's this line in this episode where Keita talks about his Quote unquote, meat space friends. <laughs> <As> in, like, <laughs> not digital friends, but the friends who live in the meat space. And I was like, I have not heard that one. That is ridiculous. Please go back to poor Chan Keita. So, um, yeah, it was sort of weird uh, to me that this was like Konoha's introduction episode, yet, like, she didn't really do anything to influence the plot or whatever. It was just a, I- a setup episode for her, basically.
0: She had her setup episode, but no, I feel like it was important because when she goes to talk, wants to talk to Chiaki, I like that I had a face to put to it.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah, that's
0: true. And then also there was reasoning at the end for her to find Chiaki on the floor, foaming yeah. at the mouth. Do you think she's
1: going to cause some more misunderstandings?
0: I do because we know she has beef with Karen right now.
1: Yeah. Okay. So she'll probably try to make Karen's life miserable somehow. Yeah. And or maybe now, she'll. Tr- yeah. By
0: maybe pushing her sister
1: to go out with keita That's probably what's going to happen.
0: Maybe. Yeah. Now we have this issue because Chaki's just found this out. Not. I'm just wondering how Amano is going to react if he gets to find out also that who she is.
1: I'm just so glad that Aguri finally feels like a little bit more comfortable with her relationship with uh, Uehara because God, it mm-hmm. was taking on forever. So we'll see. I don't know. Uh, yeah, I'm just interested to see what part Konoha is going to play going forward. I don't know. We'll see.
0: Are, are you happy that a game was front and center this episode?
1: I actually was thinking about that in the episode. I was like, oh, hey, board games or games too. that's totally fine. And like, if they're influencing the plot because of the mechanics of this game... That is an A-plus effort for me. It's absolutely what it did. Yeah. So so that was a good job by them.
0: <laughs>
1: so, okay, fine. Yeah, let's move on. Yeah, I like, actually, your retelling of that episode made me like it a little bit more. Uh, it
0: was so... And, like, I had to keep pausing to write these things. I don't... I felt like I would have laughed through some of this stuff in here, so it just killed me.
1: Yeah, I think I missed some things, especially, like, the looks that Aguri was giving to Keita. I missed those and stuff like that, so that's fine. Alright okay. so let's move on to the next show Which is on Fridays And it is Rage of Bahamut Virgin Soul um, Episode 20 It's called From Heaven to Hell uh, So we start off right where we left off last week With the demon guy confronting Nina in the square While Favro and Kaiser are being held back By the Onyx soldiers so this like, demon assassin like insults Nina's dragonfolk village, calling them cowards who bow to humans and like live with them and that they're just weak because of that. And that really pisses Nina off, so she yells at him that her mother's blood isn't tainted, like he said, and she begins to transform. Unfortunately, surprise, the demon dude also transforms into a huge blue dragon with these glowing blue horns, and He's much bigger than Nina. Um, so stepping away from that scene, back to the other scene we left off last episode, Sophie L, tells L to step away from Azazel. And Alessand like, is thinking to himself, he can't believe that this little brat L is the holy child because it get men- gets mentioned. And Jean, Jean is thanking Azazel for taking care of L, but she says, like, I'm going to be taking him back now. But L, like, steps behind Azazel as if to hide and Azazel's like, no. He pushes him forward towards his mother. And L like, looks at him. He doesn't understand why. Um, but then he hears fighting from where Nina is. And L flies off. And then Sophia, like, picks up Jean and flies off with her. And Azazel, like, clicks his tongue and, like, runs off after them as fast as he can. Because he realizes they're going to be in danger. And then Alessand, like, sits there and thinks to himself what, about what that Onyx guard told him about how he's not even worthy to add to the squad. And he just thinks about that for a minute. So Nina is back battling the blue dragon and she can't really hold him off though he's just too much bigger and too much stronger and so after like like, three times her size
0: which is crazy
1: yeah for sure it's ridiculous it's not like bahamut sized but like really damn big and after a short battle his blue horns are like glowing red from firing off so much energy uh and nina is thrown to the ground and she transforms back into a human she's like naked but she's she's not like they don't take advantage of her nudity in any way but um uh, the onyx guard says he'll take over from here to the to the dragon and he unsheaths like a blade from his gauntlet and he goes to execute Nina but before he does, does like Favro yells out and interrupts warning him that like hey if you execute Nina you'll have to answer to your king Cherios uh, and Favro's like yeah he has this weird taste and has taken a liking to that little shrimp referring to mm-hmm. Nina and the onyx guard like tells Favro, don't get it wrong uh, Cherios only thinks of Nina as a disposable plaything, and Nina disagrees, saying like, "No, he can't think that because we danced together and we kissed." She's very naive, um, but the Onyx Guard tells Nina that Cherios was the one to order her death, and so Nina's eyes like well up with tears. And Favro is a lie. Yeah, we know it's a, a lie, but it still like hurts her badly. And Favro seeing her tearing up face flashes back again thinking of Amara from the previous show and enraged by this he just draws a hidden dagger from his boot and like slays the soldier who's holding him and Kaiser uses that commotion to get loose as well and they both run towards Nina but the blue dragon's in the way. Uh, but there's this beautifully animated sequence where Favro like jumps up on Kaiser's shoulders and like propels himself onto the top of the dragon's head, and then runs up his back and down his tail and jumps over him at the same time as Kaiser is sliding through the dragon's legs since he's distracted by Favro. And so they get to the Onyx Guard and they start like fencing with him. But the dragon's like swinging its tail down and like making these huge clouds of dust, so they can't really see. Um, And like one soldier interrupts, like he tries to contain Favreau with that green energy ball we've seen before. And it's funny, Favreau's way of getting out of this is just like swinging his dagger really hard and being like, no, (laughs) he just gets out of it with like the power of anger, (laughs) which I thought was really funny. Um, So they're backed into a corner, though, at this point, and it's not looking good. But that's when L and Sofiel and Jean show up. And L's power puts the Onyx soldiers just right out of commission, forcing them to the ground. Uh, and Favreau is slightly confused about why Jean is back and then slightly turned on by Sofiel. You can definitely tell. <laughs> he's oh, like, so who's so that? feels badass and hot. <laughs> yeah, He's like, who the hell is that? And Kaiser's like, some kind of god. <laughs> so Azazel also arrives and says, I'll handle this dragon, the blue dragon. But Sofiel's like, get out of the way, and I'm about to handle this shit. But they wind up just not backing down. They both fight the dragon together. Sophia basically summons Shiva from, like, Final Fantasy, like, who freezes the dragon, and it starts breaking it up into pieces as it freezes, and then, like, Azazel, who had flown inside the dragon's mouth, like, does some kind of attack from inside its belly, and it just, like, completely blows the dragon to pieces. It was a good one-two punch. Uh, but yeah, Sophia is a badass, as you said. So yeah. Jean runs up to Niga, uh, Niga Nina, who is, like and hugs her, but she's just like inconsolable, thinking that Cherios has betrayed her love. And uh, Kaiser decides to like tie up the Onyx soldiers but leave them alive, which Favro thinks is a dumb idea. I totally agree. Um, yeah, <laughs> the head of the soldiers though, like arrogantly tells Kaiser that there's nothing to do to do that you can do to stop um, Cherios' plans. He doesn't say what they are, but he says there's nothing you can do to stop it. Uh, so the heroes all return to their hideout, and Kaiser asks Sophia to explain Cherios' weapon one more time. And she again tells us how it's this ancient magical artifact, and the angels, the gods, are not even sure of the scope of its power or how Cherios has been able to use it. Um, but once they're finished, like Jean asks Elle if do you not want to be around me? Is that why you don't want to come back? And he explains that's not it. It's just he believes that the power that he has is for a higher purpose. But Bacchus like screams at him, yelling at him, there's only one reason you were born and that was for your mom, not some higher calling, but a gift from your father to Jean. And El asks Bacchus, then why did you bring me to the surface world? And Bacchus is just like, that just sort of happened, <laughs> which is true. And so like Anne scales, scans Oh man, I keep mouse mispronouncing things. L scans the whole room, trying to decide what his next move should be. And finally, he tells Jean he'll return to the lands of the gods with her, and he apologizes. And Hamza tells Bacchus that running his mouth like this is going to come back to bite him. And Bacchus says, "I know what I'm doing." That reminds Sofia of something she knew about Bacchus from their past. That was kind of unclear what. After the meeting, uh, we see oh, what in
0: another earlier episode they hinted that they were actually together at one point in time oh that could be it i remembered yeah. that and then the duck is kind of like yep <laughs> <laughs> uh after the meeting we see nina
1: still processing what she's learned and she is looking at that claw necklace that charios gave her and she throws it against a wall and like kicks it and screams screw this and she falls to the ground crying clearly heartbroken El finds her, uh, since he was coming to say goodbye and I, it was interesting. She pulls herself together like instantly and puts on a smile for him. Uh, cause she cares about him so much. And Nina tells El, I'll sleep with you in the carriage tonight since you're going back. Since like, that's what they used to do. And I like, you know, I've grown up a little bit since then. She's like, Oh, it's fine.
0: <laughs> yeah, and she knows he's a boy now. So like, <laughs> yeah, also, okay. True.
1: Uh, but El can tell that Nina's not alright as they're walking back, and Favro, was also tailing them, scratches his beard thinking about like, what to do with the situation. Uh, we then see Cherios, who's eating a meal alone, and the Onyx Guard reports back on what happened. Uh, Cherios is leaving for Abos, where the weapon is, and he's going to leave the castle in the Onyx Guard's hands. Uh, and Cherios says it's time to break the rift open. Uh, the Onyx card also lies and says that they disposed of the red dragon last night. I think he was still trying to gauge Karyos' reaction. Uh, but Karyos kind of remains, like, poker-faced and calm. Uh, meanwhile, DS at the castle is looking for Alessand, who hasn't returned. Uh, and then Bacchus is yelling at Sofiel and asking like what she was thinking when she explains that she came down to the surface world without Gabrielle's permission. And, of course, Bacchus is the last person who should talk because he does everything without permission. <laughs> but uh, Sofiel kind of smiles at him and says, I think I finally understand where you're coming from. And then she tells Bacchus to stick around with this group and help them discover the king's true intentions. So El has to speak with one final person before leaving, which is Azazel. Uh, and Azazel, the only thing he tells him is just remember the name Muguro. And L like breaks down crying at that, and he hugs Azazel, and then thanks him for what he, for everything he did for him. And then he like runs away to hide his tears. Uh, so after the credits is where some real shit goes down. Alessand is laying in wait for L as he runs back, and he goes up to L, pulls a dagger out of his back like pants or whatever and then just stabs L right in the chest and leaves him bleeding out on the floor well uh, we didn't see exactly where he stabbed him did that's we? true but he stabbed him somewhere in the front so it's either yeah. the chest or the gut basically um and he's he just is bleeding out on the floor and it's funny when you when he bleeds out he has this like magical blood so it's got like red and then like sparkly glitter coming up from the blood, but it looks real bad. Uh, I guess this was his idea for proving to the Onyx Guard that he's worthy to join them. So, man, what a Uh, piece of shit Alessand turned out to be. Uh, And Alessand is going to get it (laughs) in the next couple
0: episodes, because, yeah. Oh, man. Big mistake on his part. Yeah, when they find out who did it, they're going to get the revenge. And... Do you think El will we'll die? Yes, I actually re- do think he will. You really think he'll die? Yeah,
1: I think he will because that propels everybody into rage mode. Uh, yeah, I, I can't even I imagine the- how Jean is going to take it, though. That's
0: yeah, true. Jean's going to freak out. This uh, this will just absolutely break Nina at this point. Azazel um,
1: is going to go crazy too. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, L is probably like the worst person they could have killed because so many people have close ties to him and care about him so much. Um, mm-hmm. so yeah, like I I hope I hope that death actually stays true. I wouldn't mind if like his spirit somehow comes back and helps them in the end. Like or like mm. I don't know. But like not I, I think he should die. I don't know. We'll see.
0: He could I'll be, be like, i surprised if he does die. I think yeah. that that's too drastic for this show. Maybe, maybe. I mean, the only other time they really killed somebody off was like for the finale in the first season.
1: Yeah, I'm trying to think of any other times when they did something that drastic and it's few and far between. But we do only have a couple, like four episodes left or whatever. So it's possible that this could be like the final catalyst for the final showdown. We'll have to wait and see. Yep. But that's all I got, man. Alright, so, moving on, we've got Made in Abyss. Uh, Episode 9 is called The Great Fault. Uh, So, Reg and Rico are proceeding into the third layer of the depths, which is the Great Fault. Um... they they descend down this like tiny smaller shaft which ozen told them about because the main shaft of the great fault has this huge like updraft like these winds and there's not a lot of good handholds to go down there's also a lot of like flying like monsters so it would be dangerous to go that way um as they're descending, like the narrator is commenting on how death is very impartial and is sure to come for everyone, but as humans, we cling on to life and we actually like this living in such an unjust world because it makes things interesting. Uh, back on the surface, Shiggy tells Nat, and I guess they're going to do this at the start of every different section because they have like the map up there that they copied, and Shiggy is telling Nat that Rico and Reg are probably around the Great Fault because of calculations he made based on
0: their abilities and uh which is interesting because they stalled out for a while there and then now we're just like moving at a breakneck (laughs) pace (laughs) yeah exactly um
1: so yeah shiggy is saying that you know the great fault is a vertical wall that spans more than four thousand meters vertically and the strain of ascending at that point becomes very great and people also start to see and hear things that might not be there Uh, So, yeah, Rico and Reg come to the bottom of that small shaft that Ozen told them about, and they find an exit hole carved out by this family of, like, little hamster-like creatures, uh, which I think are later called – I I can't remember. I don't
0: remember at all, but they're pretty cute, and I guess they taste good. Uh, Yeah, I'll come up to it later. So – and uh, it's f- very easy to mercilessly sacrifice them. <laughs> <laughs> so they skitter
1: off like as they, uh, you know, Rico and Reg crawl by them. And they see a hole uh, that's facing out into the open in, like, Great Fault. And so they peek out to see what's going on. And there are these, there's these flying creatures called Madoka Jacks, who are clearly part of the subseries series Hamura Jack and friend to the Cube Jack. Okay, no more Madoka jokes. I'm sorry. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, they're basically like these half insect, half flying squirrel like sky dragon things. I would say, ugly. Yeah, they're very ugly. Uh, but they look very dangerous as well. So they decide like we can't just crawl down the shaft. Then we have to find another critter hole. And Reg spots one a little bit further down the cliff face, and they decide to make a break for it. Rico in smartly grabs three of the little critters from their hole. And she's like, sorry, little guys, I would have liked to make a nice meal out of you. But then throws them out into the air for the Madoka Jacks as bait. And then um, Rico and Reg like
0: spelunk down to that next hole. I-, I feel like when she did that, that's when the show freezes and it pulls back and it plays like some rap music. And it's like hard as fuck glasses <laughs> over her eyes because I was like, Jesus, that's brutal. <laughs> that she did it brutal. with like no fucks given. And I was like, God damn damn girl (laughs) may have been brutal but it was very
1: effective because they were able to get to that next hole without uh... I I mean it
0: was either them or her so
1: (laughs) yeah exactly they're not noticed but as soon as they get inside the hole like Rico's like hey the den goes down further here and Reg is still by the entrance and he hears a roar of some kind of animal He can't tell what it is yet but he feels very unsettled by it So they make their way through this maze of tunnels by following along behind those little skittish animals from before, little critters. Um, And they finally come to an opening and they see some natural light and lower themselves down. And there's all these like rocks and this like circular tunnel structure that look like man-made stone ruins of some kind. And Rico tells Reg it's part of an ancient ship. Uh, And then she like happily runs off to look for relics while Reg thinks to himself,
0: what is the ship doing here? Um, it's it's like a it's like a wooden seafaring ship that's halfway sticking out the side of the cliff. So that is really weird. Was it wood though? Because everything
1: looked like stone. Like I mean, but it looked like the bow of a ship, but like it looked like it was stone. Like so, I was Outside wondering if like it was like maybe mean. an airship, or if it was a sea sh- seafaring ship, and it was just wood. Or I don't I don't know. I don't know. Um, as Rico goes deeper into the ship though she starts to step in some droppings and looks up to see the skeletons of some animals further in front of her and as well as some hatched eggs and she determines that this must be a Madoka Jack's lair and then she looks up a little further and sees a mother Madoka Jack protecting a nest of eggs and it comes after her and Reg grabs Rico just in time to get her out of there but he ponders whether he should fire his incinerator because he's thinking about what Ozen said about him being helpless for two hours afterwards. He decides it's too dangerous at first, but uh, no, he decides it's just too dangerous. He has to fire his incinerator because there's no other way to stop the creature. So it blows a hole in the Madoka Jacket, kills it, but it also blows a hole out into the cliff face again. And then we see the thing that roared before was that large red flying dragon called the Crimson Splitjaw from the first episode and not only is it a Crimson Splitjaw it's the same one because Rico (laughs) says hey it's got like a a wound on its head and and it's got a vendetta it's going to (laughs) collect it remembers us it's still coming after us so it chases after them chases them back deeper into like the tunnels and the den. And this is where those skittish animals start getting their revenge because they try to like form up and block their exit. Uh, and Rico's like pushing against them, like, please let us through, let us through. And the split jaw is getting closer and closer. Uh, and also, all this time, Reg is like two minutes from falling asleep because he used his incinerator. So he could fall asleep mm-hmm. at any moment. Um, luckily, as the split jaw gets closer, it roars really loud, which uh causes all those little uh critters just like get the hell out of there they're too scared and so rico falls in down this shaft and reg falls in after her and like he basically just before he falls asleep he says like stay right here don't go anywhere and of course he falls asleep and then she's like her stomach growls and she's like i'm hungry i'm gonna go find something (laughs) Uh, i was like man the first thing she does is (laughs) not that (sighs) At least the first thing she uh, after that she thinks is like, OK, I'll bring Reg with me. So she like pulls his hands out of his sockets a little bit and then drags him behind her like a sled uh, as she scouts for food. So she smells this sweet smell of these barracocha fruit uh, and rushes towards it. And she wonders like she comes into this room and she's like sees this like little like flaps on the ground. Uh, and she's wondering like, oh, why is the smell coming from the ground? It's like a pod. Yeah, like pod a pod billions. or something yeah and then the pod opens and she falls into it and realizes that like oh this is where the smell is coming from and then sees a whole bunch of those small critters which are called neritantans uh <laughs> like floating around that's why i couldn't remember the name it's so weird
0: yeah and at this point i'm like man you fucked up pretty quick
1: <laughs> yeah it's like oh she's inside a stomach and then we see she's inside this huge purple creature called an amakagame which is just like this huge lumbering thing that's like, you know, attracts these little critters to their death with that smell of the fruit. Uh, so Rico's like, I got to get out of here before I'm digested. So she pulls out her knife and like stabs it into the side of the stomach and like the stomach wall reacts and like like hits her and like blows her to the other side, but she like swims back over and then she just finishes cutting through the stomach and drains all of the digestive juices and like the, the creature like shrivels up and she and uh, Reg make it out, except they're now covered in the juices of this fruit that is the favorite food of those little critters. And they all just jump on her all at once and start nibbling. And so she has to run away from them. They start chasing her through tu- like tunnels. Uh, but she finally finds she finally loses them, and she makes it into this shaft or in this this cavern that has an uphill slope and it kind of looks like Superman's Fortress of Solitude or something (laughs) Uh, because it's got these like crystal-like formations and uh, unfortunately though she sees some light there's an exit but it's uphill and at this depth when you ascend even a little bit it's really taxing But she decides, like, we got to get out of here. So she starts carrying Reg up the hill really slowly. And she starts stumbling, losing her balance. She, like, vomits. And, like, she keeps trying to go. And then she starts seeing those visions that she was warned about. Where, of, like, Mariluke and Ozen telling her, hey, it's okay if you turn back. You can go back now. And then Nat and Shiggy and Habo are saying the same types of things. Like, it's okay to give up if you want to. But she keeps pushing through. And finally near the top she sees her mother and her mother is like come with me and she reaches out her hand and she grabs her mother's hand and uh, the whole screen goes white and it's like she's transported into one of the gondolas that descends down to the abyss and she's going up with her mother and she's like mom we're going up like we, we can't do this what about the curse of the abyss and her mother says oh don't worry the curse doesn't affect you anymore and they get to the top and they're greeted by this huge crowd and all of Rico's friends are there and she starts running towards them but she slows down halfway and she looks back and she wonders where's Reg so she runs back to her mother and asks what happened to him and she says Reg is at the bottom of the netherworld and Rico says well if Reg's not with me there's no point in returning home so she then like we see her snap out of it. It was all a dream and it was with her final vision that she had to get through. And she's still carrying reg and she makes it to the top of that slope with him. And she smiles at him and tells him like, I was being protected by you even when you were asleep. And so that's unfortunately when the split jaw finds them again, reg wakes up just in time to see Rico pulling out her blaze reaper pickaxe, which (laughs) Ozan told her how to use. And, um, she like before she can swing it like reg sees the split jaw and like flies into it and knocks it back a little bit and then rico's like oh reg you're awake and she throws him the blaze reaper and he swings it as hard as he can into the side of the split jaw's head which like it makes an explosion in the side of its like ear basically or it's you know the side of its head and knocks it back down further down into the abyss uh, I don't think it's dead. I think they're probably going to meet up with it again. It's like their arch rival, but uh, <laughs> it'll be back. But it's gone for now. Probably. So Rico like hugs Reg and, and tells him that like it would have been impossible for her to make it any farther without him. And she only made it for, this far because of him. And she thanks him. And Reg thinks the same thing to her, himself, that like if she wasn't with him, he wouldn't have made it this far either. So Reg has this uh, little pocket meter, kind of like a pocket watch, that shows how deep they are so it's turns out they've made it 6750 meters deep they're almost at the bottom of the fault and like there's like these prickly things on the sides now and these eggs that he wonders if it's okay to eat but then some flo- fog clears towards the bottom and he realizes as they look down and Rico realizes hey it's the goblet of giants we're almost at that fourth layer so yeah just one episode to get through the whole great fault area which is pretty quick uh I don't have much to say about this episode I just liked the pacing of it it was much faster than usual um yeah, there was a lot of back the whole thing was just like really one long action shot so that was pretty cool too yeah and uh apparently there's news out this week that the final episode of this show is gonna be a one hour length special uh, okay, uh what episode is that uh is that 12 or 13 I don't know it's probably 12 so it's 12.
0: Damn it. I'll have to review it. <laughs> Good for you. Uh, That's but, funny. But this is episode... Yeah, nine. Man.
1: Maybe we can split it in half and you can review the first half of it and I'll review the second half. Yeah, we can see. That would be that would be equal. Um, so, yeah, maybe they won't rush to a conclusion here. Maybe we'll get a little bit more f- uh, closure than we thought we would because of that extra time. Also, that damn rabbit girl better goddamn show up next episode. I've been waiting for her you, for eight episodes. It's like it's driving you insane. <laughs> this is the ninth episode. Like, So she won't even be introduced until episode 10. Like, Why was she in the OP and ED? It's like such a spoiler at this point. If you weren't going to introduce her for at least 10 episodes, then just don't put her in the OP.
0: And also what's interesting on the uh, picture that Amazon Prime uses, yeah. she's even more front and center than yeah. uh, Rico and Reg. <laughs> it's so
1: weird. It's such a weird decision, but uh, I don't know. We'll see. I'm, I'm assuming she's going to show up now in the Goblet of Giants, but I could be wrong. So uh,
0: that's all I've got for that show. Okay. Let's move on to 18F, episode nine Idols Don't Go to the Bathroom. Um, this Can confirm. Fa- <laughs> 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 this might be my favorite episode of 18F so far. Shark Ladies. Yeah, so we open with an group called Shark Ladies performing. Uh, the main girl makes a little speech at the end, and the other girls look at her with, like, hate in their eyes. And, like, backstage, the girls are, like, super passive-aggressive towards her, and they don't try to hide it at all, at least. Basically, they're just, like, really jealous because she's more popular. Yeah. Uh, she then later on, goes out to dinner uh, with some uh, movie people, and, like, one of them kind of makes a move, rubs her, rubbing her his hand on her leg, and they're just obviously... Trying to sleep with her and stuff yeah. But then like a rabid fan barges his way into the restaurant And like starts stabbing her repeatedly Screaming about his feelings being betrayed And whatnot. Yep. So suddenly our next scene Is the girls from the rest of the idol group And even the guys Who are trying to take advantage of her from the movie deal all wake up in Nightmare Idol School and the guys have all been transformed into girls and even one of them is like a little girl and they're like where's my little me
1: (laughs) yeah he's like looking down at his crotch and he's like my little me is gone Uh, but I like the one who transforms into a little girl because he has such a low voice (laughs) it's really funny (laughs) and he he does like the pose he puts like the two fingers like the piece of fingers over his eyes like guys I'm a little girl it's really funny
0: so yeah and and in this school they can only be women so that's why they they got transformed but our main girl misaki uh she's apparently we're talking about misaki from action hero and cheer fruits and she had <laughs> gone on to apparently become a very famous idol.
1: <laughs> I, I buy this i buy this this is
0: definitely and canon. when she got into the adult world uh, she realized it's a lot darker place than what action hero and cheer fruits shows it as <laughs> um But anyways, Misaki's there, and now she has, like, blonde hair and refers to herself as the Witch of Youthful Beauty. She's also, like, dressed up in a dominatrix outfit and whatnot. And she says she'll take them all through hellish training so they become real idols. She's, like, super ruthless. And, like, one of the girls is like, I'll remember what you're doing to me. And she, like, turns into a piece of poop through, like, a Magico Girl transformation scene. (laughs) That was one of the
1: best magical girl transformations I've ever seen where she literally transforms into a
0: piece of shit (laughs) (laughs) so that was hilarious that's amazing she then uh has them like doing the the leg lifts or whatever they are and like her manager's there and she's like I can't do it anymore and she ends up setting her fucking crotch on fire (laughs) she's like rolling around and like then finally on her stomach and she's like literally just pelvic thrusting into the floor (laughs) it's crazy and then like one of the other girls is like i need to go to the bathroom and misaki's like first-rate idols don't go to the bathroom what are you going to do about it you want me to set your crotch on fire and then like her crotch starts smoking and then she like (laughs) she
1: pees herself to put out the fire she
0: drops to her knees and pisses herself oh god and it like it shows it and everything. And so like at this point, I'm like, all right, it seems this epi- episode is going to focus on the sexualization of idols. First, we had rumors being spread about Misaki, then the movie guys rubbing her leg, followed up by shirts being ripped off by her whip and then burning crotches, followed by pissing themselves. Yeah. the show is going to look at it all.
1: Yeah. All the There's stuff that also, idols have to be put through. It's. Yeah. yeah.
0: So, it's yeah. So it's actually touching on like real world problems with idols and stuff. So uh, I gave it points for that. Uh, but there's also a new girl there named Nana that Misaki feels is actually going to try is actually trying to become a top rate model. And she is working super hard. This girl also has a strange, slightly masculine voice. I noticed and I was like, I think this is Haruto.
1: That's a good guess. I I wasn't I didn't catch on to that until it was the written. voice
0: was it was like feminine, but not. And I was like, I and we hadn't seen her yet. And so I really thought this was Haruto obviously I put this so early in my notes uh, they are now on a run and like Nana pukes and it's a rainbow <laughs> just like Aqua like from yeah, yeah. yeah
1: and then it's also like when she turns back like she still has a little vomit on her lips and it's rainbow colored <laughs> it's yeah <really> <laughs> like
0: Misa- well the poop earlier was like multicolored too so that was crazy <laughs> uh, Misaki says What's your, "Where's your, happened to your spirit yesterday was that all a lie and then it's like that's when she looks at it with the still vomit on her face like happy determination in her eyes to continue Then Misaki's like alright I can respect you for this then we just have like this really harsh training montage with all kinds of antics montage is over and everybody's passed out except Nana and Misaki and Misaki asks Nana what kind of idol she wants to be and she replies with like Misaki from Shark from Shark Lady (laughs) (laughs) Nana does nothing but praise her and Masaki tells her to look up the real last name of somebody called frank M- marnie i did not do this did you
1: no i didn't look up that one i didn't really get where they were going with that and, th- and that never came back around either so
0: weird uh some very japanese joke that i just don't think translates at all over yeah, is what there's I think a couple of those there.
1: in this episode yeah
0: yeah it happens later on too so more training montage, everybody performing better and actually seeming to enjoy it at this point. And they even do a whole beach scene because every anime needs a beach episode. <laughs> Universal law, no way around it. <laughs> uh, Misaki proclaims them the best idol team at the end of this like whole montage and stuff. So Nana is walking through the halls when Lily is there and confirms that Nana is Haruto, and like Lily is curious why Haruto just seems to be playing around it turns out haruto is just a huge fan of misaki and just loves being there with her and just doing nothing and just because he gets to hang around with her Lily's like well i've had enough of this and turns haruto back into a man so we already know men can't be in this uh academy and whatnot and haruto ends up getting captured and brought to a dungeon with like lots of male specific torture devices this is kind of unsettling (laughs) to actually watch yeah Misaki says she's really disappointed in Nana and to punish him, but she says there's like a little bit of reluctance and like everybody else is about ready to torture him when Misaki says to stop this, you know, it's just too much. And they're like, Oh, so we expect you to deliver the final blow, you know, basically by cutting off his dick, but she doesn't and like runs away crying. And since, and that's where she does more name dropping, which I could not figure out. And since the witch left, Haruto can now do things in the dream world they couldn't before. And I can't believe I'm about to say this next sentence because this is what happens. Whew, there's no Nobody better quote this and like make it into its own little segment. <laughs> <laughs> he breaks his bonds and transforms his dick into a djinn and beats everybody up and plaster[s] them to walls with a sticky white substance.
1: Yeah, he like yep. shoots thing the the genie gin whatever shoots things out of his hands that are sticky white substances that like stick the girls to the wall. <laughs> it's, it's bad and I love but like Har- uh, Misaki's like you actually did
0: that and he's like oh yeah it's a dream I could do anything
1: <laughs> yeah <laughs> it was great
0: so Haruto goes outside and talks to Misaki who thinks she is a fool because even in the end of her dream world she was the one who lost and ran away in the end a quick flashback scene of Misaki getting photographed with a man in front of a hotel She and her manager are apologizing to the producer, and he says Mizaki can be forgiven because she has many fans in the business. And he's all, like, licking his lips and shit. Very hint-hint.
1: Yeah, hinting that, like, if she sleeps with them, she'll be forgiven. Yeah.
0: Yeah. She thinks she was holding back for others, but Haruto convinces her she was holding back for the sake of her own dreams and becoming a pop idol. And then, like, her blue door appears as an entrance to, to a stage. She makes it back to the real world and has a performance followed by an announcement just like in the beginning. This time, though, she looks to her partners with nodding approvals and announces her retirement as an idol. She explains she has learned of love and now will continue her career as a solo singer. I was so happy this was an episode that had real world ramifications and dream world consequences with closure. Yeah. Favorite episode f- so far. Oh yeah <laughs> And addressing the real world problems With pop idols being sexualized Not being able to date That was really cool too mm-hmm. Yeah I mean we just We had a nice beginning middle end With things wrapped up Some like, of my complaints To the other episodes I'm like well what happened To the real world Once they got out of these yeah. dreams we never found out I'm like all these questions But what do you think About this episode?
1: So I just want to say if if Japan wants to start an idol group called Shark Ladies, I will 100 buy their merchandise. I will support them. Also, their like their main theme song in this episode is better than any music that ever came out of the Love Live series. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. <laughs> Not Idol Master, but Love Live. Fuck Love Live. <laughs> I just wanted to say fuck love life uh when misaki also in this episode didn't want to say like penis out loud in that one scene like where like haruto is like hiding his penis and they're like what are you gonna cut it off blah 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 uh she's like she says this weird line where she's like you girls should know who the minister of health of saotome and principe is and i i assumed like that this was like an inside joke that the minister of Sao Tome and Principe in the real world would have a name similar to like ochinchin or something like the Japanese way to say dick or penis. I I dug so hard into the internet to try and find this and got nowhere. <laughs> the only the only thing we find is like the health minister of that country. Their their name is like Maria de Jesus Trovoada, and like that has nothing to do with Japanese. I I have no idea. I think she was just basically saying random stuff I don't even know how they came up with that but maybe it's some Japanese news article I don't know about that got really popular that they were referencing who knows uh, but also yeah basically in the end if you were intrigued at all by this premise of this episode of this like sleazy idol management industry and the like girls might go to pursue fame to like meet their dreams then please for the love of all those holy go watch Satoshi Kon's film Perfect Blue I've heard a lot of good things about it. Yeah. That is uh, very unsettling in a slightly less uh, hilarious way than this episode is, but just an incredible movie uh, about many of the same issues that this one tackled. So, yeah. Uh, You ready to move on? Yeah, let's uh, finish up this podcast with the last show. On Saturdays, we've got Action Heroine Cheer Fruits. Episode eight is called Lil Sis Aoyama, says she'll start directing. Um, so Masaki starts off the episode by reporting back to her aunt, telling her that the cheer foods have like led to a noticeable increase in tourists arriving to Hanano by train and like sales of goods have gone up and the next performance they have is going to be their fifth. So they're really doing well. Uh, and her aunt tells her, don't get ahead of yourself. You're still only at the starting line if you want to stop the demolition of your father's performance hall, which has a capacity of 3000 people. So she needs to keep working towards that. Her aunt says, Uh, Masaki gets a phone call, though, from one of the girls saying, hey, there's trouble. You got to come back. So she runs back to the train station where they rehearse. And the the new stage that they've built has like these huge, basically pokeballs that the girls like jump out of in their performance. And when they do, they all wish Masaki a happy birthday. Uh, That was what all of the commotion was about. There was no actual trouble. They just wanted to surprise her. So, they made her a cake and they also give her this lemon shaped good luck charm, which they tell her to open if she's ever in trouble. Uh, so, that. Oh. Yeah. Uh, also, her birthday's August 9th. So oh, yeah. That's mine. Oh, wait. You have August 9th birthday? Hell yeah. Leo. Oh, cool. That's cool. Cool to guess. So, uh, yeah. Uh, that, that charm that they gave her doesn't come into play now, but I could see that coming back in the future. We'll see. Um, so, but after the rehearsal, they watch this top 10 review show which is like an idol review show because they want to see if they moved up in any of the rankings they see a clip of this performance by the Okatani City Peaches uh, whose whose, their routine completely copies this Japanese folktale of Momotaro or Peach Boy and uh, Misaki worries that their performances are too similar and that they'll make the same mistake they did with Kaju and get another like cease and desist from them so They don't know what to do, but Mekon the next day decides, all right, I'm just going to rewrite the whole script from scratch. Um, But maybe they can reuse those Pokemon balls as like a different prop and revamp the action sequences. And Genki has some ideas for action, like wire stunts. But a flyer blows into Misaki's face, and it, it just, it's very heavy-handed moving the story forward. <laughs> <laughs> just like a flyer blowing into somebody's face is pretty funny. Um, and the, it says that there's a festival coming up on August 19th, which coincidentally is the same day their next performance is supposed to take place. Um, so they'll likely get less attendees because the festival is in, like, the town over. Um So they decide, though, they can maybe make the best of it if they use the fireworks from the festival and they time it as a special effect for their show. So the girls decide that Genki is going to be the one to direct this time and that she's going to be really strict with them because they have to get the timing exactly right for the fireworks and they need to make the performance better. So the rehearsals start the next day and Genki acts like this Spartan commander. She also purchased a bunch of ashtrays from Amazon so she could role play as like just this asshole Japanese director. (laughs) Uh, But she doesn't smoke. She just like is eating a million lollipops and putting the like leftover lollipop like sticks. Can we say diabetes? Yeah, probably. (laughs) Uh, So on is doing all these like acrobatic moves uh like on stage and like genki's like you're getting it wrong she starts like throwing ashtrays at her like frisbees and on keeps dodging them and she does like one particularly ridiculous dodge where she's like in a full split and genki stands up and is like yeah that's it that's the real on akagi and basically what she was trying to tell her is that she noticed that her choreography was too similar to this Mako Kamiso girl who plays like Kami Dayo. And so she's like, you can't be just a copy. You can't be an imitation. And so Khan takes out the heart And then she's got advice for everybody else. So she tells Mikan and Hatsuri that she wants to change their fight style. And she's like, you don't have, like, very powerful attacks. How can we make your attacks more interesting? She's like, I want you to try butt strikes. (laughs) They're like, what? Butt wrestling? And so Hatsuri's like, okay. She starts taking her pants off. And then she starts, like, grabbing Mikan's pants and pulling them down. And Genki's like, no, 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 no. You don't have to be naked for this and she's like oh okay (laughs) so it's like basically keijo they start doing on stage to practice so yep she then tells midori (laughs) kawa to go stand under a waterfall to become closer to buddha so she can better express her kind character from the script so she goes and stands under like a water hose (laughs) just stands there and gets soaked Uh, and she tells Yuki to get more into character of Sign Blue, who if you remember correctly is from Mexico in her lore Uh, and tells her like, remember your allies from Mexico and remember you have an attachment to the blue sky and somehow she interprets this as Putting on a sombrero and eating tacos. <laughs> That's
0: yeah, she how got, she gets close. She closer. got the sombrero and the poncho, and she's eating tacos at the edge of the stage. I'm like, this show is fucking ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> and then finally, Genki tells
1: Roko to uh, to for, further her character as the female like lead enemy. Uh, she needs more sex appeal, so she needs to try to seduce uh, the president Misaki. Uh, and this gets Hatsuri, of course, the pink hair girl, jealous. Uh, but Genki says, like, you need to draw the eyes of the fathers who are going to be in the audience. <laughs> That's your role. So she- and I was
0: just like, we just talked about this on 18F. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: Uh, so Roko tries to seduce Misaki, but it just comes off as kind of ridiculous. Uh, but this gives Genki the idea that, like, the, the uh, female lead enemy is actually, like if they're shy rather than like really confident, that's kind of original. So she says, you should go, you should work that shyness factor. And then finally in the end, the only girl left is the drill hair girl. And she's like, okay, it's finally my turn. And Genki says, "Uh, I have no particular instructions for you. (laughs) <laughs> and she's like, what? He's like, yeah, no, just just keep doing your carefree thing. And I was just like, wanted to high five Genki for like wrecking the drill hair curl. <laughs> I was God. really happy about that. <laughs> uh, throughout the entire process, Genki probably ate like 60 lollipops and you see them all in the ashtrays. The girls are totally exhausted and they're about to go home, but Yuki stops them from leaving and says like, hey... If we do one more run-through of our characters, I think that performance will truly permeate us and, like, we'll be breaking through our limits like true heroines. And so they all do one more run-through. And then so finally, after practice ends, we get one of, the, like, the first, I would say, truly fanservice-y scenes of this series. Like, there's been some fan service scenes that have had plot relevance. This one was just fan service. They're all no, just, they're like, fanservice. sitting around the dressing room in their bras and panties for, like, a minute uh, and getting changed. And there's not much other point to that scene except for Yuki apologizing for being rude earlier when uh, telling them to go back and practice more. Uh, but at, at home, Yuki tells Genki like she wants to be in the sp- she wants Genki to be able to be in the spotlight somehow for her like all the work she's doing behind the scenes. And apparently Misaki also told Genki the same thing, and Genki is kind of admiring Misaki because she's doing all this work behind the scenes too. And, like, one of those things is she went to the next town and she talked to their fireworks crew. And told them that like, hey, our performance is going to be using your fireworks as part of the landscape. Is that okay with you guys? And she brings them some like hina nectar cookies as like a goodwill gift. And like these old guys are like, oh yes, honey, thank you very much. And like our kids love uh, hina nectar <laughs> or whatever. And they're like, <laughs> yeah. One of their wife, like their wife comes and like yells at them, saying so, like, it's hina nectar, honey. It's, it's just really funny. Um, and then yeah, the. Uh, like Yuki just tells Genki that she's just so happy to be able to stand on stage with her again at all. Cause of like how they grew up always performing together. Uh, and then the episode ends with this joke that the girls like all made those like teru, teru Bozu dolls that you often see for this festival. Uh, they all made them. So when they get to like the stage the next day, like they have hundreds of them and they, they hang them all up and like the guy at the train station's like, what the hell is all this? Uh, and then they just all vow to make their Their performance a big success uh, And that's where the episode ends So the next episode of course Will cover the big performance But yeah that's about it I, I'm, I'm continuing to enjoy This show for whatever reason It's just it's just solid And I think it's pretty funny So yeah
0: I'm pretty much right down the middle With the show I don't hate it and I don't like it Yeah just I'm just watching it for a podcast basically at this point yeah it's like it's
1: definitely not for you like it's not the kind of show you like and it's not like the perfect show for me either uh, but it just doesn't I like that like except with the exception of that bra and panties scene in in this episode like the things mm-hmm. I was prepared to say is that like while there is fan service in this series like they it's very limited and they mostly focus on it for humor not for sexual appeal uh, and they don't like zoom in on the girls' butts all the time and like linger there and like give you a really good shot or have the girls like touching each other's boobs. like no, it doesn't happen. So it's it's avoiding all those tropes and just doing it for like cuteness and f- and like jokes, and it's fun. So, and then the rest of the story is just kind of fun, girls working together. So yeah, woo woo uh, anyway, Anything else you
0: want to add to that? Or? Uh,
1: last thing I will say is I got my Chihayafuru premium Blu-ray set um, and I watched the first nine episodes of the dub uh, version and I would say that the dub is not like fantastic there's some weird voices in there especially like the child voice for uh, Wataya Arada but uh, it does not take away at all from the show and one of the big pluses of the Blu-ray is is god damn does the uncompressed music sound amazing and Mm -hmm. oh man I found myself tearing up like every single one of those first nine episodes at least once mostly near the end because there's usually that's where like the big musical theme kicks in and that's where the dramatic moments happen but I was just sitting watching through those first nine episodes and thinking like this is why this is my favorite show oh man it's so good so anyway I just thought I'd mention that
0: Oh, okay, yeah, I got something I want to mention, too. I've been keeping up with Hajimete no Gal. Oh, yeah? And my opinion on the show is it actually has a really good romance hidden in that show. Uh, the main girl character, she's not the jealous type. She, When the main guy gets caught in like a precarious situation or stuff, she doesn't immediately blame him. And she kind of knows he was actually trying to do good instead. Mm -hmm. Uh, I just like that change. And there's a shot at the end of episode eight that like was just really cool. And the show has just gotten, I think it's gotten, it starts off terribly. I think it's gotten better. Uh, I think the writing's pretty good for the most part. I feel like the guy writes the show and then the producer comes out and and he tells him, Oh, you forgot to do your pedo joke again. (laughs) So he writes in every episode throwaway scene of a pedo joke and every once in a while he's like comes out and he's like oh you need to do another pedo joke at, at the end <laughs> and, and they're always just throwaways they're so out of place i don't know why they they think it's funny for some reason it's horrible they did episode eight was the beach scene so, oh yeah uh, so he so fat guys watching these two like little girls build a sandcastle oh god jesus that show it could probably be a really fun show if it just cut those dance scenes out it would out. be fun and it would be funny but they gotta cut that shit out yeah but yeah if you can look past that and actually kind of pay attention to our two main characters uh, evolving relationship it's pretty good actually uh so one more thing uh,
1: this week public service announcement destiny 2 is coming out uh, which you oh. might know from our introduction but uh Leo and I are going to be playing a shitload of Destiny 2 over the next week uh, and then probably binge watching next week's anime (laughs) so if next week's podcast is like not up to the usual standards it's because we're like zombies from having played like
0: a hundred hours of Destiny in one week I told myself I will do one review a day I'm off Wednesday (laughs) Thursday Friday so I can at least knock out three shows and then yeah, then just play Destiny like I it's this is gonna be insane. We're gonna play so much stupid destiny. <laughs> I look forward to it. Oh, me too. But is that all you got in VCOM? Yeah, that's it. All right. Thanks for listening. Remember to like, follow, and subscribe to us on YouTube to get updates on new podcasts or videos. And also follow us on Twitter at Nerdem and Other for updates as well. We'll see everybody next week. Peace.